This podcast is brought to you by HealthCareInfoSecurity.com, the leading online publication for risk management and security professionals within the healthcare industry. This is Howard Anderson, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group, and today we're talking with Terrell Herzig, Data Security Officer at UAB Health System. Thanks for joining us again, Terrell. Well, thank you, Howard. I wanted to talk to you a little bit today about some of the um, strategies for preventing breaches and implementing security controls that might be overlooked beyond the obvious ones like everyone's paying a lot of attention to encrypting uh, laptops, for example. What are some of the uh, major other strategies that folks might be overlooking that they really need to pay attention to? Sure. When you go out to the Health and Human Services website, you see the amount of lost devices and theft devices. The immediate reaction is to go out and encrypt everything, or specifically laptops and things like that. What we really, I think, are missing in the industry right now is kind of a, that holistic approach to look at data leakage as a whole, what information is flowing across the organization, how it's coming into the organization as well as going out. By looking at that, I think we'll get a better appreciation for a layered control approach, things that people aren't thinking about right now, things like how they dispose properly of media that they no longer need, you know, one of the key incidents that we saw was uh, hard drives left in a warehouse and uh, not appropriately disposed of, and uh, that's an issue. Uh, I think people are, are looking a lot at encrypting laptops, but they may be forgetting USB drives, other media like CDs and DVDs, which a lot of people don't think can be encrypted, you know, for some strange reason. I get that, that reaction as you can encrypt a CD and DVD. And there's actually vendors who make products out there that you can just drop a DVD in and it will self-encrypt the data that you're, you're sending to it. And that really you know, provides an extra level of, of protection. Plus things like you uh, just heard us talking about, of course, in the workshop was uh, uh, email, file transfers, our business partners, you know, how are they handling the flow of information between your organization and theirs. Uh, all those controls need to be looked at and, and evaluated. You talked a little bit about even uh, paying closer attention to how the company you hire to shred paper is yes. doing it. Tell us a little bit about that. What can go well, wrong? And sure, and, and you know, paper was just one of those things that we wanted to make sure we had adequate coverage on, and we had uh, spent several years with one particular shredding company, and, and it came up time for renewal of our contracts. We had a competitor come in at a, at a lower price that we had not done business with before, so through the contracting process, we worked with them to specify the certain controls we wanted. You know, we had the option, for example, to allow our vendor to remove the material from site and truck it to a, a secure disposal facility and take care of it, you know, out of state. And uh, risk management people, you know, along with us, decided that it'd be better to have it shredded on site. So we had some idea that, you know, the work was adequately being shredded and things like that. And then uh, through an actual audit of the uh, the vendor, once they were on site fulfilling the contract, we discovered that, uh, in actuality, they were leaving a lot of the material insecure in an unsecure location to uh, kind of pre-stage it before they were shredding it. And uh, this was a fully public area. So of course we we had to go back to them and say, no guys, you need to bring it out and shred it on site at the point of collection just like you uh, you had committed to in the contract. And, and that was a small bump. We got that worked out. But it's a case in point. You really got to go out and look at, you know, audit these controls, every, every one of your controls to make sure they are operational and effective. Something that's very easy to overlook. Very easy to overlook. Yeah. Uh, even, even the sufficient number of placement of bins can be a um, risk 
to your security model because if people um, you know don't have a, a depository then nearby they put their papers and stuff in they're liable just to throw them in the trash as to you know want to walk that extra uh, length down a hallway or something to find one so you got to make sure you, you know just coverage of the of the controls is sufficient now you invested in equipment that's located at UAB to destroy uh, media when it's out of yes. use. Uh, yes. Describe how that works and why you invested in it. Well, we actually kind of got lucky. We had already invested in it from a point that, you know, being the org uh, large organization that we are, we had bought industrial crushers to crush other stuff that we wanted to recycle or, or break down and get rid of. And that primary use had kind of um, been outsourced to a different provider, so that left us with a big industrial crusher that no one was using. and. When we were trying to map out how we were going to securely destroy our hard disk and things like that, we, we knew, for example, that degaussing equipment's not always effective because of the new drives that are coming out and the, the um, amount of magnetic force that they contain and things like that. It's very hard to degauss them. Time to do secure overwrites and things like that can get lengthy. So we wanted to make sure that if we had hard drives going off-site that we could physically destroy them. And we looked at things like maybe outsourcing that to um, people who could crush them and things like that. And as we were talking with our equipment accounting folks, we discovered that there was this big industrial grinder that no one was using. So we kind of said, hey, we put that thing to work. Hmm. And so now we pulverize our hard drives into, you know, basically half-inch squares uh, when they come out of the compactor. So, you know, I can turn around and give a department now a certificate of destruction and say, on this date, we destroyed those 200 hard drives and uh, no, they're not sitting anywhere. At what point do you take that step? How old is the data? Uh, we usually get contacted. We, we have a security website that basically if you're a person within our organization that has any kind of media that you don't know how to get rid of, that know that sensitive information may be on it, you can go out to our uh, privacy and security website and do a little ticket the online electronic ticket, or you can just pick up the phone and contact my office and we'll come pick it up. I felt like if we were serious about collecting this media and getting rid of it, we had to make it as easy for our departments and end users to work with us to do it. So uh, we take the burden off them, plus we need to do a chain of custody anyway. So it's more efficient if we go to them instead of them coming to us. So we'll go out to the department and pick it up. And you're moving to a new form of um Two-factor authentication. Yes. Describe the old and the new, and why yeah, you made the shift. Yeah, the old one. We our two-factor authentication has uh, always been the uh, the hard token devices, and um, because of the proliferation of portable devices and things like that, we were starting to hear people, you know, talk about man, you know, the the hardware token gets you know takes so much room in my pocket on my keychain, and it's not backlit and things like that, and. So with portable devices coming out, we, we had the idea that if we could give them a soft token that they could run on the device and not have to carry a, a separate hard token, maybe it would help their workflow a little bit. So by soft token, it's a piece mm -hmm. of software that runs on their the, cell phone? Yeah, it's a little smartphone? piece, it's a little applet. It generates that one-time password just like a hard token does synced up to the same hardware in the background and it allows them to mimic the hard token but in a software version. How widely do you have that deployed at this point? Right now we've got probably 1100 people using it and we're about to go to um, one-time soft token provisioning and deployment and temporary token provisioning and deployment which basically means that if we have 
people outside the organization that we can validate who they are, validate their need for access to information. We can give them a token that expires in a certain time period and they can sign up for it and go through that verification process and we can electronically implement it instead of putting our sign-on team through a large number of steps that they've had to do with the hard token. Provision. And this two-factor is for remote access only or internal network? It's remote well? access only at this point, yeah, because inside we've got enough controls that we feel like that with the firewalls and the VLANs and all the other things that we implement that we can get by without the two-factor inside the firewall, but then anything outside we require two-factor. And then finally, how, how big a role does your data loss prevention application play in helping it, you it track down? It kind of gives me some of the metrics on how well we're doing about keeping information inside, inside, and not letting it go out. It's always interesting to see what the report is, but our uh, DLP products do reports each week. They're automated. They email to me and my assistant and my other uh, security person, and we all three will sit down Monday morning and go through them and look at what we're seeing and, and uh, what the metrics mean. And um, it's been working pretty good. And you use that primarily for educational purposes? Then, yes, the we'll use them for educational purposes. Uh, you know, a large body of things that we used to do is we had a lot of people that would email their credit card information out for personal purchases. They'd go to websites that for some reason didn't have secure ePay gateways and things, so they would just email their information to people. Um, had one individual's email I saw going out was paying her uh, daughter's tuition with a credit card payment. Had the credit card number, expiration date, and PIN code, as well as the uh, security code on the back of it. Why well, she thought that needed their PIN code, I don't know. I actually um, had called the lady and said, "You might want to, you know, keep an eye on your accounts and things like that." having released that much information. But we um, we sanitize all that data and use it in our corporate compliance education courses to, to put it back in the community. And I get more comments probably after an educational session about I didn't know, you know, that email wasn't encrypted or I don't know, I didn't know that this could be setting out here in the internet for such a period of time or I didn't know by going to Facebook I could get hit to a site that has malware on it. People just don't know. So the more education you can give them, the better off we're all going to be. Well, thanks, Terrell. We've been talking to Terrell Herzig of UAB House System. This is Howard Anderson. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by healthcareinfosecurity.com. For more interviews, breaking news, research, and educational webinars, please visit www.healthcareinfosecurity.com.